welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Just getting great to see you. Are we all well? Yes. Brilliant. Um, it's great to see you. So we've got visitors from the US and Canada here, is that right? Let's see your hands. Wave at me. Woohoo! Look at you guys. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Before I come to you lot, welcome online church. Forgot to say that. And we've got people in America watching us every week from... Indiana to Maryland and everywhere in between and South Africa, South Africa and everything. You're really welcome. Joe, you know, could you do me a wee favor? Um, so before, after lockdown, no way during lockdown, you folks, we couldn't travel uh, because you weren't allowed. And uh, so one of the things I really wanted, to, you know, when we were kind of out of lockdown over here, we said to our kids, so where do you want to go on holiday? Let's go somewhere on holiday, right? And uh, we were kind of, let's pick somewhere far away because we haven't been in ages. And uh, so I suggested America and Sophie, who's our youngest, I'm going to introduce you to her later on, and you can help us out. She went, oh, can't go to America. She says, why is that? She says, everyone gets kidnapped in America. <laughs> I went, really? So I was like, I don't think they do, Sophie. Oh, they do, Daddy, I've seen it. That everyone gets kidnapped, we'll never make it out. And I said, okay, Rick, what about Canada? She went, it's even worse. <laughs> and I went, Canada? Are you serious? The worst thing's going to happen to you in Canada is they're going to hug you to death. Like the Canadians, they're lovely. Well, my experience of Canadians is lovely. I hope you're lovely too. But uh, it was a sense of, oh my goodness, America, no way. Canada, no. We went through everywhere. Choo, 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 and ended up with France, where we go every year. And so it was, it was quite funny. It was like, but it was her reaction. <gasps> no, you can't go. We said, what about South Africa? Because we've got South Africans and we've got lots of friends there. And she went, <gasps> no, everything there. All the animals, they kill you. you get st- you'll get stung by something. So I have no idea what they're watching, why they're watching it. But they've got like early onset trauma about traveling to Canada because you get kidnapped. I just have this view, I had this vision of like, like it's Canada, it's changed since the last time I was there. Clearly like hordes of people driving around looking for tourists to capture. What did they do? With- I said, what do you think they do with you when they, when they capture you? He said, I don't know. Hadn't thought that one through, but they capture you anyway. So please help me out. Help a brother out, will you? And uh, hopefully you can understand me as well. I just, I just know whenever we go to the States and that kind of stuff, normally I'd say, could I have some water, please? And the normal response is, huh? Huh? And I'm like, water. Can I have some water? Oh, water. Okay, so, uh, so there you go. But it's great to see you. Are you ready to uh, get into the Word this morning? One of the things I want to encourage you about every time we come to the Word, uh, the, the thing not to do is to stop and to put yourself in a situation where you make it all about you, because the Word of God from beginning to end is about Jesus revealed. And what we do this morning is, uh, if you want to see change in your life, if you want to see uh, things transformed if you're in your life, as Adam was saying, you know, about living in the goodness of God's promises, that comes as a revelation uh, your response, sorry, to a revelation of who Jesus is. Does that make sense? And so as Jesus is revealed through the word, what, what our hearts do is not re- like kind of what, what must I do to earn? What must I do to, to, to gain? But it's like, Jesus, who are you? And what must I do to receive? Because in, in, the, in the covenant of God's grace, it is about receiving grace. It's about receiving the goodness of God. And uh, like you can see that, that that is a mega theme through scripture. You find it all the way, like even in John 15, you're the vine, we're the branches, right? It's like the, the life of God flowing through us, the same life of Jesus as we are grafted in, that life flows in us, okay? The, the, the vine uh, doesn't say to the branches, look, you gotta produce fruit. Simply the fruit comes by, by what? By being attached, by being grafted and joined in. And so I want to encourage you this morning because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at a bit of the Bible. It's from Exodus. And some people go, ooh, Exodus, brilliant. Woohoo! It's almost like up there with Lamentations. You know that other favorite book of the Bible? Oh, I can't wait for the 12 weeks on Lamentations. Flipping brilliant, right? Exodus, some of you are going, Exodus, what is it? Is that in the Bible? Okay, that's a book. Okay, remember Veggie Tales, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, what comes on? Deuteronomy, not Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Uh, you have to sing it. It's the only way I can remember it. And so in Exodus, you have the story of God's people being released from slavery, released from bondage, and towards Canaan, the promised land. And it's interesting that some people don't preach the Old Testament because they go, number one, they can't make sense of it. 
And so it's kind of like the schizophrenic God who's in the old is, is, is wanting to kill people, left, right, and center, who's hard to please, who's a taskmaster, who's difficult. And so how do we reconcile this? And why would anyone want to, to know a God like that? And so even, even recently, some well-known pastors have said, I've just, I'm just not gonna preach the old anymore because in the Old Testament, you know, it's just people just freak out and it's no good for them. But actually, it, that's why I love grace, right? Because grace shows us from beginning to end, it's all about Jesus. And, and, and it, what we'll see in here is, um, in, in this morning's story, it's good news for people who feel like they've made a mess, all right? Who feel like, oh my, what do, what do I do again when I make a mess? Because um, in this story, you're gonna see that, that, that the heart of God is revealing grace upon grace, even way back under the covenant of old. Is that good news for someone this morning? So we're going to read that. It's going to be from Exodus 34. And uh, it's, it's going to be great, actually. So I'm, I'm enjoy, I enjoy preparing it. So if you don't enjoy it, well, do you know what? Tough, because I'm going to preach it anyway. So let me ask you, hasn't this week been crazy? Remember like last Friday? Did anyone think the world's ending? All right. Hasn't it been absolutely crazy? Like, oh, we're all doomed. We're all doomed. Uh, the, the markets have crashed. The pound for us, the dollar, the euro, it's all, it's all crazy isn't it? And, you know, not only are the lights going to go out, but we're all going to be living in caves. And, uh, <laughs> and speak for yourself. Well, Balamina, do you know what I mean? So it wouldn't be too much of a big difference up there. Oh, all right. Oh, that's a wee local joke. These people live very far away in the countryside, right? Let's just say it's still 1973 in Balamina, but there you go. And so, <laughs> But here's the point. The point is it's been, I, I, I felt this week going, I, I made a conscious decision to switch stuff off this week, to go, because uh, I have no idea what to put. You know, if, if you were looking at what the world is doing right now, you would be up and down like a fiddler's elbow, wouldn't you? Like, what are we going to put our hope in, church? Well, actually, it says in 1 Peter 1.13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at what? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's your, here's your plan for this week, is set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. You see, your hope this week for living and for getting through is only as good as what you put it in. Remember, like if, if you can only ever live to the potential of the message that you sit under, so if you sit under a message where, where you go to the word and God is angry with you, that he's disappointed with you, then you'll only ever live to that level. But what actually Peter is writing here, he says that the word is teleos, and it means to believe completely and without wavering. To throw yourself completely upon is that sense of this word. On what? On undeserved favor. Do you get that? Undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. That is where the Lord says, put your hope, okay, your aspiration, your desire, your, your security, your, your need for peace, put it where? On, on you or on the world? No, because that, you're going to be stuffed if that's what happens. But he says, put it fully on Jesus and his finished work, fully on his work. And then you will start to see the goodness of God. And so it, it like manifests in it. Now, I, I know that we're on a journey, all of us, and it'd be absolutely wonderful, wouldn't it, if we got up every single day uh, without wavering and setting our hope fully on Jesus, if our full trust was in the Lord, right? But I don't know about you, but I'm not like that. A, a, any waverers in the house today? Yeah, okay, thank you very much, right? I waver, I waver every day. Do I like it? No, do I do it? Yes, to be honest, sorry, would you like your pastor just to be, oh, on a cloud of glory, okay, all right? I know what it's like to waver. I know what it's like to doubt. I know what it's like to be up some days and down some other days. And I want it to be different. That's the thing. And I know with God's grace, it will be. But you and I, you know, if you and I can't really know and fall onto God's grace at those moments when we really need it the most, I would ask you the question, is it grace at all? Is it grace at all? Now, what happens here in Exodus 34, we're just gonna look at two verses for a couple of weeks, in six and seven, is the first description of God's character in the, in, in, in the Bible. And it's the most quoted passage, actually, from the whole of the Bible. Because in these two verses, what we learn is that all of God's actions, all, every way that God deals with you every day is an expression of his attribute, an expression of who he is. 
right? And what we're gonna see in these two verses is God will never act, as, as Adam said when he was praying for us, God will never act inconsistently with who he is revealed to be. Never. Why? Because the word tells us it is impossible for God to lie. So whenever he reveals an aspect of his character and his nature to us, then we can know that he will always act consistently towards us, his people, in that way. He will not waver. He doesn't ask you to put your hope unwaveringly into someone that will waver because we wouldn't have hope at all. Do you get that? What he says is, watch in the word for who I am and who I reveal myself to be and then Put your hope there because it will never be anything other than what I have revealed. And this is the first time in the Bible that we actually get to see these attributes of God revealed. And it's only two verses, but the way the passage is designed, I'm gonna teach you some new words today. Woohoo! So you can go a wee bit of Hebrew, a wee bit of Greek, and you're gonna go home feeling dead clever, but they just give this really good, clear explanation to, you know, God's actions. And, and, and the thing is, you see these then go the whole way through. There's no inconsistency. You see them carried the whole way through into the New Testament as well. Because we're gonna see God's core character traits are not rooted in, you know, his primary attribute is not anger. Anger is one of God's attributes, but it's not his primary attribute. We're told in the New Testament, in the book of John, God is love, theos este agape in the original language, not just that God does loving things, but in his essence, he is love. And what we're gonna see that his character traits, his core character traits are rooted in generous mercy loyal love towards us. It's a, you know, even when we make destructive and selfish decisions, right? The way that he responds to us is always rooted in love. So God's anger, of course, and his judgment are an important theme in the Bible. So when, you pre, when we, we're a church, it's all about God's grace, but we don't kind of like kind of try to airbrush bits of God out because it doesn't fit the narrative. That's not what it's about. God's anger and judgment are part of who he is. But at his core, uh, he's, he's a God of generous love. He created the world and he created you and me in love. And he longs to restore us to a place of complete love between us. So where does his anger and his judgment come in? His anger and his judgment towards you were completely satisfied through the death of his son, Jesus. So it's not that he's not that anger and judgment, we kind of just need to ignore that. Those things sit there. But what he did was it says that all of the wrath was poured out on his son so that you and I could walk free. That's scandalous grace for you this morning. Do you deserve it? Not one bit. Do you get it anyway? Through faith? Yes, you do. That's good news, isn't it? If anyone of you are sitting here this morning with any kind of lingering doubt going, but what about God? What if God? But what about this God? What about uh, things that some people might not even know about? Only you. The Lord says, I'm not angry with you anymore. If you are in Christ this morning, I'm not angry with you. I'm not upset with you. I'm not disappointed with you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I what? Removed your transgressions from you. And then Galatians 5 says, if he has set you free, what are you? You are free indeed. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's good news. And so, because um, for some of us, when we start to hear about God's attribute, who God is and how, this God of grace, the first thing that the enemy will do is go, ah, but he will accuse you. He will bring things to your memory and go, ah, and, and test almost like test the word of God in you to go, is he really that good? Is he really that kind? Is he really that loving? Is he really that loyal? And the answer is yes. Why? Because he never lies. He never acts inconsistently to who he is revealed. Amen? So as we, as we get into this, and some, some do you know the religion in this? One of the things, I loved having Ray over. Who, who, who was here for Ray? Wasn't he brilliant? Wee man's half crazy. I tell you what, you know what? I absolutely loved it. And uh, what was really interesting is, talk about language difficulties, he's Welsh. So there was loads of times I was talking to him and he didn't understand me as well. So I'd say, Ray, do you want a cup of tea? Oh, quarter past three, mate. And you're like, forget it, you know what I mean? We'll go on, right? Are you hungry? Oh, yeah, 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 it was a great meeting. I'm going, right? So we had loads of this, but do you know what I found? I found uh, many times, even like in some of the ministry, 
You realize when, when God's grace is preached, it really does cause a reaction. It causes a reaction to people who love the law. And it's not to ju- I'm not judging, I'm just going, you can feel it at times. Where people start to go, flipping heck. Has the last 20 years or 30 years of my life been built up on the wrong thing here? My effort and, and my trying for God didn't move in one way. It was always about grace through faith. That God blessed me and loved me. You know, it's, it's, it's the point where, uh, you know, and it's not, I don't mean to be hard because it sits in all of us. I don't want to be hard, that's not the point. But the, the, the point is, sometimes for, for many of us, we, we really struggle to receive because we, lo- we love to have a wee bit of us in the middle of it, don't we? At least we can point back and go, well, I did this, therefore this happened. And the Lord blows that out of the water in you this morning and says, you know when Ray said last week, even I went, oh, he said, do you think God blesses you? Would God bless you if you never read your Bible? Right? And I was like, I know the answer to that. Lots of the people who were in that particular meeting didn't. And you could feel it in the room, the tension. He says he would. Will it change the way that God loves you? No. Does it change the way that you love God? 100%. Does it change the way that you're able to receive from God? 100%. But it doesn't change his love for you. Not one bit. So we do it because we love him and we want to receive, not because we feel like if we don't, he won't move on our behalf. That's the scandalous nature of God's love. The scandalous nature of his grace, isn't it? I love it. You know, when you come to the end, you know, I, I, like oftentimes you find yourself, don't you come into the end of just effort and trying and you just can't be bothered and the Lord says, you know, well, I haven't given up. I love you as much as I love you now. I love you as much in this moment as I love you when you've got your hands in the air, blessing the life out of me in church. I love you as much in those moments of doubt and insecurity and all of that stuff as I do whenever you're out washing poor people on the streets of whatever, do you know what I mean? Not, you get the point. Pick some random religious thing that we all would think would make us feel good about ourselves. All right? <laughs> some of you are shocked. Well, get over it. But do you know what I mean? He loves you as much at every moment, at every single moment. So these thing, this thing of receiving from God, because this statement that we're going to read right now is, is a statement that God gives to himself, to Moses. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Is, this is a statement that God says, testifying about himself, and he gives it to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, when you go back um, and look at this, What's actually happening is God is, is trying to formalize a covenant with them because what they had said is God's people being who they are, they kind of go, oh, whatever you ask of us, God, we can do. Like, I think that's a really stupid thing to say. That's the point where you, if I was there, I'd probably go and shut up because I don't think we can do everything that God requires of us. That's the point, but they, they go for it. And so what happens is right in the middle of them saying, God, whatever you tell us we can do. And the first thing that God says is, well, don't have any other gods before me, right? Commandment number one. Don't have any other gods before me. So what do they do in response to that? They make a golden calf. Like, oh, let's, let's back this up a wee minute. You just said that you could do whatever God asks of you. And so God says, well, I'll tell you what, don't have anything else before me. No problem, God, let's build a calf. You see, I mean, they've fallen at the first hurdle. They've got it completely wrong. And so they're breaking the very first command of this new agreement that God's trying to make with them. And uh, like, what is God gonna do with people who are so flippin' rebellious? Do you know what I want, to, I, I want to show you? Like whenever, at the beginning of Exodus 34, the Lord says to Moses, get another couple of tablets, but then he starts to reveal something to, him, to, to Moses. He reveals this, the people are failing. They are making a mess of it and we haven't even got out of first gear, Moses. I said to them, don't do it. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. But you know what they said? No, just give us whatever. You know, you lay it down for us, Lord. Okay, here's the first 10, fellas, for a starter. And they mess up on number one. And at that point, what happens? When people are failing, what does he do? Respond in anger and judgment? No, he responds with grace. When you fail, the hand of grace reaches to you to lift you up, not to push you down. 
Because what, this is what happens. He reveals five things about himself here. What's his five in the Bible? The number of grace. And we need to remember these things at our point of failure. What do you tell yourself this week whenever you are in the middle of rebellion and getting it wrong? What's the narrative? What's the thinking? Because in the middle of this, the Lord does not come. And this is before, this is before Jesus. This is like old covenant. But you see the heart of God in here. The heart of God, we, the, the law might have brought separation. The law would have brought um, judgment and condemnation. But the heart of God was never changed. It was always rooted in loyal love for us. And so when the people fail, his first response is, let me show you who I am. Shall we read it together? So he passed in front of Moses because he, he's not going to remind them. Do you, know, do you know what we think it happens? This is what the law will do. In your moment of failing, in your moment of weakness, in your moment of getting it wrong, the law will remind you of all of that times 10. It will amp it up for you. It will remind you not just of the time that you failed there, but it'll remind you of the patterns. It'll remind you of all the other things. The law will continually bring about death to you because that's what it does. And so when the Lord passes in front of Moses, we need to pay attention here because he's not passing in front of them to remind them to go, Moses, have a look down at these buck agents and what they're doing. Look at the failure, Moses. He passes in front of them and he proclaims, God himself proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. He's slow to, I'm slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Somebody say, amen. At the point of mess, he passes in front of them and says, I am compassionate, I am gracious, I am slow to anger, I abound in love and faithfulness, I'll maintain my love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Now these next verses have kept them in. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Now let me tell you something. I, I grew up, um, for those of you who don't know, I, the, the way I grew up, I've always been in the church my whole life and uh, different kinds of churches, but uh, I've always been in the church. And I, I would sometimes describe myself as like a, a recovering charismatic at times. And they're like, just let that one sit. <laughs> did he just really say that out loud? Yes, I did. Okay, because I can remember like verses like this, like straight up crazy folk telling me that because... Of, let's just read that again. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children and the sin of the father. The thir third and fourth generation, I don't know how long that is, but it seems like a long time. Anyone? That's like hundreds of years, isn't it? I mean, I struggle enough with my own crazy. Never mind great, 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 great grand is crazy. You know what I mean? I don't even know who he is, but apparently the Lord's gonna punish me because of what this flipping waster did on a wet Tuesday afternoon in 1847. What was he thinking, running off with the nurse? I don't know, but don't blame me. Not my fault. Oh, so what you need to do is then, because the Lord says, you need to come to the front and you need to <laughs> repent. I was repenting of all sorts of stuff. Lord, I don't even know what they did, but I'm sorry for it anyway. Anybody? How crazy is that? Uh, it's like, can you imagine the Lord sitting there going, yeah, will you see this, Peter or whoever? Moses, see your man. He doesn't realize that great uncle Gregory was a flipping womanizer. 18, remember 1863, 4th of June? Bad day. Let's see if he remembers that one. And here's you wondering how you're going to pay your electric bill in 2022. Here's you wondering if you're going to have a pension. And this mad view that the Lord's sitting up there going, I could bless you and keep you. But what do we do about Uncle Gregory? Dirty old brute. Somebody needs to pay for it. Folks, wise up. Anybody? It's crazy, isn't it? What does the Lord say? First, I'm compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding love and faithfulness. Wickedness, rebellion and sin, I don't remember it anymore. How much more than the word says? How much more for those of us who are in Christ? Does, our, does his love come for us? Isn't that good news this morning? Can I just say the other side of that is that some of us think that other people's sin 
will derail us from walking into the fullness that God has for us. It won't. God is bigger, not just than great uncle whoever's and whatever's sin, right? It's brilliant. I just have to say this. The worst was the orange. If you had anyone in the orange order, I swear you were on the highway to hell, all right? It didn't matter. It's just a, it's a Northern Ireland thing, all right? The orange order, like, I, I, I'm not making any point other than that was the, the, the best thing you could repent of. Never mind everything else. You, you, your great uncle could have been, or granda, could have been like a mad axe man serial killer with hundreds of people to his name. That's not as bad as being in the Orange Order. That's what I grew up with. I used to go to bed at night terrified, terrified. And you know, we can have a laugh, but it's not funny in one way because it puts people under condemnation and it robs them of who God is. Do you get that? It robs them of who God is. God's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving our wickedness, our sin, and our rebellion. The other thing, the other side of that is, I felt when I was preparing this, like that, that thing of the impact of somebody else and what they do onto your life. Can I just say this? It's like there's nothing that anyone has ever done to you. It may have impacted you, but if you keep your eyes on the Lord and keep your, your eyes front and center, on Jesus and who he is, nobody's mess will ever derail your destiny, ever. It doesn't matter who it was or what they did, what they planned for or what they were able to achieve. God's grace is bigger than every single thing that was ever brought against you. And he will work all things out for good according to his purpose. And his purpose is never derailed by somebody else's sin. Do you get that? Some of us have thought, I know in our heads, because I was preparing it, I felt the Lord speak to me about this, but what about them? And you know, they did this and that's impacted me this way. And, and you know what? Sin has consequences and there's a, sometimes a mess associated with it. But God is always faithful to bring it around. Do you hear me? So take heart this morning. Your, your days are not, you know, your story's still to be written. And it doesn't matter who they were or what they said or what they did. He's gracious and compassionate and he will work it out. Amen. So let's, let's get, is this okay? Yeah, anyone feel encouraged? I've only got about 10 minutes left, so I better go quick. So like, let me tell you, these verses amazingly, like they have been used in crazy ways. But you know, if, if you remember right now that in Christ, you are no longer guilty. You might feel guilty, but as somebody once said, facts don't care about your feelings. The facts according to the word of God is that you're not guilty. Why? Because Jesus paid the debt for you. When you came to Jesus, every single curse in your life was broken and the Lord is not holding anything else against you. And so this first word of compassionate, uh, it, it roots right into that. Because what we need to do this week is to remember, first and foremost, that the Lord is compassionate. The Hebrew word here is a word called rachum, and it's an important word. Let me explain it to you. And um, Because it's always translated, it appears in different forms, but it's, it's always translated as compassion. And what, what's really fascinating, right, that it, it's kind of the picture of it is related to the, the Hebrew word for the womb, okay? The, the womb. Am I saying that funny? Womb. You all know what the womb is if you don't ask a person beside you, all right? So the, the, the Hebrew word for, for womb is rechem. And so the, this word of compassionate is, is linked to, to, to the word for womb. And what does that mean? So compassion in the Hebrew Bible is centered on the, on the core, at the very center, the place of life, right? And so what happens is whenever the Hebrew writers were using this word for God's compassion, it, they invited us to imagine like a mother's really tender feelings for a vulnerable infant, you know, like a really vulnerable infant. infant. And so there's this intense emotion involved in, in Rechem, this, this word of compassion. Sometimes it's translated actually as deeply moved, to be deeply moved. So you know in King Solomon, the, the story where the, the, the women bring the, the child and uh, they've just given birth, the baby's real mother, it says his rachem is deeply moved with compassion. And so because she doesn't want to see her baby die, she gives it up and Solomon's able to go, because I see this deep-seated in from the inside of you, this compassion, then I know that you're the mother. And so it's that compassion that reveals who she is. But what's interesting when it's applied to God, it's not just a feeling. So there's this sense of deep emotion and sometimes we need to remember that. 
I don't know if you've ever felt at times when you look around what's going on in your own world and go, does he even care? Does he understand what this feels like? Anybody? Does the Lord know what, what my fear or my anxiety or what that feels like right now? And the first thing when he reveals I am compassionate is I have that intense feeling of protection, of safety, of provision over your life. But it's more than that. So don't ever doubt, right, the Lord's, the Lord, how the Lord feels for you. He loves you with a deep intensity all the time. Remember, he's speaking this right in the middle of their mess. While they are literally rebelling in front of him, he's responding with, my compassion is. Now, the, the word in Hebrew goes beyond that when it's applied to the Lord. It's not just an emotional word. It involves action. And it's, it's most often used to describe God's actions that are motivated by those emotions, right? So like when the Israelites are, were in Egypt before, I read it last week, it says God heard their cries and he's compelled by compassion, this word rachem, to rescue them. As they go through the wilderness, making a mess of it, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they complain. God's response is always rachem, always compassion. Just like, you know, you know it's, it's interesting here, this picture of them going through the wilderness what does God's compassion look like? They're going through the wilderness. God has delivered them and he's taken them towards promise. That's you and I every day of our lives, right? We, most of us have been saved, encountered Jesus, and now we are moving towards glory. Does that make sense? Navigating our way through the wilderness, the land that we're in that we don't belong to because heaven is our home. That's a picture of life, right? What do they do the whole way through it? They, they complain, they moan, they gripe, they do all the rest of it. They, they almost like fighting with each other and fighting with God. It's, now, I'm not saying that that's what we do all day, but there's this sense of on our journey, we, we don't get up every day with, yes, blessed be the name of the Lord, amen, hallelujah. We go through stuff. And what does, what does compassion look like? Well, compassion here, for these people was, he always provided. What did they need? They needed food. They needed water. They needed clothing. And he personally guided them through that time. Do you get that? That was his compassion for you. You know, as you're navigating the next, this next week, and you need this, you need that, you need the other, and the devil is in your ear going, but you didn't do this and you didn't do that and you didn't do the other, you can put your eyes on Jesus and know that he will still provide, he will still cover, he will still bless, he will still open the doors of favor. Why? Because that's about him and not about you. He is always compassionate. He just doesn't feel it. The feelings motivate him to action. I know for me, I feel lots of things. I feel like I should go to the gym. I had breakfast with him yesterday. There's an ounce of fat in him, right? And he was talking about the gym. I felt in a moment I should go to the gym. Can I tell you how quickly that feeling passed? <laughs> I had all these great ideas. I thought I too could look like this. <laughs> then I thought, ah, nah, I can't be bothered, all right? <laughs> he just needs a revelation that dad bods are in. He just hasn't had that revelation, all right? And do you, know what, do you know what's really interesting with this thing of compassion? This thing of God's deep, intense sense of love, which pushes him and makes him do everything that he said he would do despite our rebellion. They keep getting it wrong. I mean, they keep going through. It's like, like despite his continual compassion, the, the Israelites here, that picture of us, they turn from him time and time again. Time and time again. It leads to the point where the people are scattered. You know this? This is what happens. They go into all the different nations, this really dark moment in Israel's history. And even in Isaiah, that book you know, of Isaiah, Yahweh still, the Lord still compares himself to like a mother full of rahem, full of compassion. Like you're still my child. That sense of your, that vulnerable child, I still see you that way even in the middle of your mess. Is that good news for somebody this morning? I think we need to, we, listen, quite frankly in the world today, 10 steps to this and five steps to this is not gonna cut it. Five principles for better living, it's not gonna cut it. In the world that we live in today, the only thing that you can ever bet your life on, bet the farm on if you want, is God is good all the time. He reveals it all the time. And the biggest battle we have today in the church is not about 
getting our bills paid or anything because he has already promised that he is the one who has gone before us to provide. Our biggest battle is staying in faith that grace will do what he said it would do. That's the only thing. That's where, because it says when we do that, when we stay in the place of God's love, when we put him first, then all these things are added onto us. That's our battle. That's where our investment of time and energy, if you want to put it that way, needs to be. It's how's my heart growing with the understanding of God's compassionate love for me and his grace for me. And just watch what God will do. In those moments where you sit there and you go, like, and you see the goodness of God. Remember one of our signature verses this year, Psalm 27? I would have given up if I hadn't believed what? That I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's hope, right? And is that sense of going, you know, I I would have given up. And in this world right now, I promise you, I have seen it time and time again when it looks like the chips are down, you go, but God, you're moving. I'm gonna keep my eyes on you, my heart's set on you. Isaiah 26 says that you'll keep me in perfect peace if I do that. And then God is moving. He's always working it out for you. That's a sure and steady hope. Why? It's, and whenever I doubt it, I just go, but he's compassionate. Do you know even compassionate for those of you who've got kids? You know, it's like, you know sometimes like when your kids mess it up, most of us, hopefully, are pretty slow to go and to slap them, aren't we? He's a social worker. I better watch what I'm saying, right? <laughs> go in to make mistakes, intentional or otherwise. How many of you go, oh, brilliant, Mr. Smacky's coming out, and all that? Most of us go, oh, our first response. See, when you see them make a mess of something, isn't, isn't the first response normally, oh, flip? No? Maybe I'm too soft. When I see them upset, even if they've done something, my first response is always, oh, come on. And I am, a, in, in many senses, just a failed human being. You know, I, I can't love anyway the way that God loves. How much more does he? It's that thing of going, our heart's first response has got to be in the moment he's compassionate towards me. Right now, that intensity of his emotion and action towards me has not failed. And when we do that, it causes our hearts to rest and allows him to work. Does that that sound okay? Let me just take a couple more minutes to finish. Because this, um, this, when we get into the New Testament, if you want to look at compassion, uh, it all points, see all of this compassion, this rechem points towards Jesus. And uh, you see this deep compassion becoming human. And the the word in Greek is Oikita trimos, it's, it's a funny word. And, uh, but what you see is, you see Jesus is moved by this, oikitrimos. He's deeply moved. When he sees people who are sick, when he sees people who are without, when he sees people who are outcasted, everything that Jesus does in your life is from that simple place of compassion and love for you. Every single thing. What moved Jesus? Anger and judgment? No, what moved Jesus was love and compassion. The same thing that moved the Father in the wilderness. He hasn't changed one bit. Let me quickly just talk about this word gracious as well. Because sometimes what happens is, in a church like ours, people say to you, oh, you grace people. This kind of like, remember grace is the gospel. If you're kind of, what's the gospel? The words in the New Testament, grace and gospel are often used interchangeably. The good news, I'll tell you what good news is not, okay? Get saved feel wick for the rest of your life, trying to please a God who's really angry. I don't know about you, that's a really bad deal. No wonder people go to the pubs, because they don't even have to think about it, right? Hey, we've got great news for you. Come to our church. You too can be as miserable as us. Fantastic. Not only will we judge you, but God is judging you too. Sign me up. Da, 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 da. Brilliant. You'd need to be completely crazy to sign up for that, wouldn't you? Like something lacking, right? And here's the thing. That's not good news. The gospel is good news, right? All the time. It's meant to make our hearts go fantastic. Even some of you this morning might be struggling to receive just how good it is. In fact, you know what I love? There's a great quote, I was reminded of it last week. Somebody very famous said that whenever you preach 
the gospel of grace. Whenever you preach the gospel, actually, if you're not accused of this big word, antinomianism, simply that means lawlessness. If it doesn't make people go, oh my goodness, you heretic, then you haven't actually preached the gospel. It was somebody dead famous about 200 years ago said that, so it's not even a new quote. But what's interesting, when this word grace, people will go, oh, you need to be careful with grace because you can have a wee bit of grace, but balance is what matters. Now, a cursory read of anything to do with the Apostle Paul, well, you'll see that that's complete nonsense because you can't balance unmerited favor. At no point does the Lord say, I will love you to this point, but then you need to do. Remember, everything we do for the Lord is as a response to how he's loved us. He reveals, we respond. Not we do, and then he responds. That's, that's, that's law, that's religion, that's man-made efforts towards God. So this whole thing of, when the Lord reveals himself as gracious in the Old Testament, what word was it? What was he talking about? So very quickly, it's this word, kanun. Okay, so we've got rechem and kanun, the two words for today. And it's, it's this word, it's a noun, it's chen. And it's often translated as favor or grace. And it's, it's a really fascinating one because it, it, the sense of it is this. What, one of the meanings that you see the whole way through, and like particularly in the Psalms, is when this word chen is used, it's like a gift that is given in delight. Just think about it, isn't that lovely? A gift that is given in delight. The, the, the giver is delighted to give the gift. Isn't that lovely? God loves to give you grace. He loves to give me grace. He loves, it's a gift of his which he delights in. It's a favorable gift. You know, like in the Psalms, you see this word used all the time, like, like the Psalm, some of the psalmists, uh, like the poets, the really good poets in the Psalms are, just, are said to have the lips of hen, which is like they, they can craft beautiful words that bring us delight. And it's the word used to, like any, any gift that's given with delight or favor is called hen or it's called grace. That's the word that's used. So the, the, the first sense of it is God loves to give it. He doesn't hold back. He's not waiting to pull it away. It's in his heart of compassion to pour favor on you because he loves you. It's a, a gift of delight. Now, secondly, it's this. The, the, it's, it's such a character trait, if you like, or a part of God that over 40 times in, in the Psalms, if you, if you look at the same word, you'll see that people cry out for God's hen. They cry out for his gift of grace when they're sick, in danger. When the Israelites were in, in exile, as an example, all the prophets like Isaiah look back to God's hen. They use the word, they look back to his grace and they boldly declare that one day, because of this, this, this sense of God's gift, that they would be free. Now, when you get to the New Testament, it's, it's interesting because the, the word chen has become charis, the word that we know, okay, which means God's gracious gift to us. So like when you're introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of John, you know, we're, we're told that Jesus is God's glorious chen when, you, when it's first translated. So his glorious grace and he's sent into the world. And so what happens is this. I, I just want to, I'm going to pick up on this next week, actually. I don't know my time. I just want to say this, that when you put these two things together, we haven't even looked at the other words yet, but in the middle of mess, in the middle of our rebellion, in the middle of our failure, whether we try our best or not, it doesn't matter. We get it wrong. How we respond in those moments is the most critical thing. Do we respond with a heart that says, in this moment of my failure, the hand of grace is picking me up? Think about it. You know, for some of us, I love that, that picture, even of Peter, you know, walking on the water. Even for some of us, you know, we've gone, well, you know, even when I was trying to do God's will and I walked on the water and I got out there and I did what he asked me and I started to sink. What did grace do? It's the same thing you see here, compassionate and gracious. Grace, Jesus reached out the hand to make sure that Peter wouldn't go under. Do you get that? When you start to sink, grace reaches you. Why? Because he's compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Not remembering your wickedness, your sin, or your rebellion. And great Uncle Gregory was dealt with by Jesus on the cross. Amen. So what's interesting for me is this, just remember, if I just make that one point, and I'll, I'll pick up on it next week, the Lord loves to do that for you. He loves it. 
his heart jumps whenever he is giving you grace. It's all that he is. His primary attribute, theos, este, agape, God is love. Not just that he does loving things, he is love in his essence. And that's for you every day. So, are you encouraged this morning? Have you enjoyed that? Good. If worship guys could come up, just t- take a moment just to, to sit for one second. Because uh, that's the kind of word that needs to sit in your heart. It needs to sit for a moment before we take communion. For some of us, it might just be as simple as going, flip me. I've been afraid, Lord, that there might be things in me that would mean that you would hold back from me. And the Lord says, no, I'll never hold back. Every single time you find yourself in a place where you don't want to be, my grace is reaching out for you because I'm compassionate. It's a deep, deep, deep love for you. Some of, some of you have thought, can I exhaust this, Lord? Have I used my quota? Have I used it all up? And the Lord says that his steadfast love is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Church, this message this morning is a message about his faithfulness and not yours. About his love and not yours. And he says, if you would just allow his love to fill you, to wash over you, to encourage you this morning, you'll walk through this week, into this week with a renewed sense of purpose and vision, a renewed sense of hope, a renewed sense of security, a renewed sense of that no matter what is going on in this world, that in Christ, you are safe and secure. From everything that will come against you, the Lord says, I am your strong tower. Thank you, Lord, that you're our refuge this morning. You're our strong tower. Lord, that for any one of us, if it was about us this morning and our performance, then we would be in trouble. But Father, I thank you that right now, if we are in Christ, your word says that you perfected us forever. That we are as loved right now in this moment as we will ever be for all of eternity. There's no more love Father, than what you've already shown us through the death of Jesus and his work for us. It's perfect and it's complete. So Father, we say thank you this morning over every home and over every family, over every child here across the US and Canada and South Africa and Australia, across Europe, Lord, all the people who watch in. Father, I just speak over you and your homes, the grace of God. I speak the grace of Jesus. I speak his favor over you. I speak his health over you, his protection over you. I pray that this week that you would see the goodness of God. I pray that this week that your heart, even at times though it may fail, even at times though it may struggle, I pray that you would be reminded the Holy Spirit himself would come to encourage you and remind you that you will see his goodness in these days. Even all around you when things are going wrong, the Lord says his hand is on his people. He set you apart and you will see his goodness in these days. I speak it over you, protection over you, over your homes, over your families, over your businesses, over your careers, over your finances, over your bodies. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your goodness. Let this word, Lord, sink into us today. Lord, so that we know that when circumstances and the enemy and our own consciousness conscious condemns us Lord we can turn to the truth the truth that never fails the truth of Jesus and his work and put our hope fully onto that we love you Lord why don't we stand together and we're going to take communion we're going to worship together and then take our offering Um, I don't know where you're coming from but in this 
church, we believe that there's something very powerful happens when we take communion. It's not just a symbol, but the Lord tells us that it's a way that we can walk in divine favor and health and protection. And uh, there's no one unworthy. If you're in Christ this morning, you're not unworthy. Many people have been told over years, don't, don't take communion if you're unworthy. Uh, unworthiness is not part of who you are. Romans 8 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That means all your unworthiness was put onto Jesus so that you could be given his worthiness. And so your eyes as we eat today are not on you, but they're on the sacrifice that was made for you. All right. So Lord, we look at this this morning, hold this in your hands, this bread, and we say, Father, thank you for your body broken, Lord. Thank you, Father, that was for our health and for our wholeness. And so we receive it today in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, from the tips of our toes to the tops of our head, in our bodies, in our minds, in everything else. Father, I speak health over your people, restoration over your people, renewal over your people. And all God's people said, amen. And Father, we thank you for your blood poured out for us, Lord. It makes us righteous. Father, thank you that this morning, Lord, because your blood was poured out, Lord, every curse over my life is broken in Jesus' name. Lord, the devil has no claim against me, no unsettled claims and no power against me. Why? Because everything was settled by the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice once and for all. Amen. Not good news, church? Flipping brilliant. And so, Father, we drink today and we say thank you that because of your work, I am free. Because of your work, I am whole. Because of your work, I am favored, Lord. Outrageous grace, Father. Outrageous grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. Amen. I want to encourage you just as we sing our last song together um, and worship the Lord together, we're going to take our offering. Uh, um, your giving matters. God will love you whether you give or not. That's the, the truth but it definitely changes how you, how you love God. We believe in the tithes, we believe in offerings, we believe that in doing that, we position ourselves for supernatural favor because it's about heart trust. But never give because you feel condemned. Give because the Lord speaks to you, listen to him, and then do as he says. One of the things about grace is you'll always go over and be on that way. So your offering is part of your worship. And can I say that you'll never outgive God as you sow and you sow generously into the work of God's grace in this church and beyond and everything else that we support, then what you'll see is just grace upon grace in your life. We believe that. We've seen it. We've got great testimony of it. So we'll do that as we worship. But just allow this last song just to be your prayer and your, 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 your declaration over yourself as we finish up this morning. Amen.